0: The sermon is based off of Romans chapter 10. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will ascend, descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I can't tell you how excited I am to finally get to come and worship with you, lead and preach a sermon. I've been telling the T-Bond family for years that I'd come and visit my friend Nathan's hometown and visit. Now, growing up in the suburbs of a large city spending most of my adult life in urban st louis i don't have much exposure to small town life so i did my best to research california before i got here i I looked into the theater downtown as my wife and i we love the arts i i looked at those historical murals on the cultural heritage center and all the local history I absorbed and of course, the beautiful architecture that permeates your city. And let's not forget, last night, I was taken to the county fair where I saw a demolition crash car derby, <laughs> as well as bluegrass music if I ever got bored. But one thing stuck out when I was researching California, Missouri. It, it turns out that there is a country pop song about California, Missouri. And it's called California, Missouri. And it's, it's not every day that you go and preach somewhere where a modern country music star grew up. And above and beyond that, it's not every day that you go and preach somewhere where the country music star grew up there, then wrote a song that's titled The Town Where You're Going to Preach. Now, I'm sure all of you may know about this song. I'm not sure how you feel about it, and I'm not really going to talk about it. I'm not even sure if you've all heard it, but it's, it's interesting, to say the least. But I think what it does, it, it gives us just one glimpse for a city slicker like me. to It gives us one glimpse, one perspective into what it might be like growing up in a small town. Now, the first thing I noticed when I came off the highway exit and entered California, Missouri, was this giant sign. I think it's red. Uh, it has your motto on it, something I'm a big fan of. It says, small enough to know you, large enough to serve you. When I read the motto, I got instant feelings of the idyllic small town, the small town that I want to visit. The small town of a hallmark made-for-TV movie. You know, let's pitch this movie together. I'm a big city pastor. My life's out of whack. I'm, I'm way too busy. I'm struggling making time with my wife. But I'm called to preach at this huge event in Kansas City. And it's for Christmas. And I, I have to drive in a snowstorm all the way to Kansas City. And I'm wrestling with my thoughts and my demons, and then my car breaks down, and I'm stuck in a small town. It's California, Missouri, and it's the night before Christmas. What am I going to do? And then over the course of Christmas Eve, through a series of private conversations with California residents, helping with crafts for the pageant Christmas Eve, and some soft music and saxophone, I learned the true meaning of Christmas. But that, of course, is a fantasy. Let's be real. What is it really like to live in a small town? Let's break through that glass of disillusionment together, please, and maybe think about what the themes that this song talks about. Maybe you have felt in the past, or even right now, like a black sheep. Do you have dreams, interests? Do you have things that just don't make you fit in? Maybe just maybe if you lived somewhere else, everyone would be nice to you. Maybe you feel like you live under a microscope sometimes. Like everyone's watching your every move or listening to every word you say with the worst possible construction. Has anyone ever gossiped about you? Has anyone ever gossiped about your daughter? How did that make you feel? All these negative voices swirling around your head, telling you how you live is wrong, what you do is embarrassing, yada, yada, yada. It's so simple, so simple, to listen to those voices to tell you who you are. Because these are the voices of your community, right? They're supposed to be building you up, forming who you are, sculpting your identity. But what happens when the motto of your hometown instead becomes small enough to know you, large enough to hurt you? Let me tell you, Rome, At the time of the writing of Romans, it was by no means a small town. The population was anywhere from half a million to a million people at the time of Christ. However, what can make any big town feel small, of course, is church. We all know that most Americans can get small town feel by uh, joining a local church body community, joining a small group doing lenten dinner potlucks you know the whole shebang being lutheran but what quickly but what this quickly invites right is the troubles that come with everyone knowing each other especially over multiple generations roman citizens were still making sense of how to make religion a part of their everyday philosophy jews were distrusting of these lawless romans that had mistreated them in the past Gentiles wanted to join this awesome religion that promised eternal life, like the guy who founded it, who rose from the dead. But at the same time, I heard rumors you have to be circumcised to be a Christian. But in the end, what does it all come back to? The old problem of he said, she said. Perhaps Gaius said that your daughter Caesarea, that her blouse was too revealing. What are you going to do about it? Or, I heard you are in the Roman Legion. I'm sure you've killed dozens of people. How can you call yourself a Christian? The age-old problem. The voices of others. Those voices of others, of doubt, of your worth, of your goodness, they quickly become... Maybe your internal voice, a voice of self-doubt, self-doubt of whether you really are any good, of whether anyone could ever love you. And here's where Paul makes sure to step in and say, stop, enough. Yeah, he says, there was a time and place where your behavior made you righteous. He even admits, yeah, your hero Moses said this. He says, he wrote about righteousness based on the law, that a, the person who does the commandments is righteous. And yet also, the Gentiles, they had this beautiful philosophical tradition of how one's behavior through habits helped shape society and make a person righteous or wicked based on your actions. But the problem is, God's kingdom broken. His will for the lives of his chosen people entered the courtroom, and the commotion would not die down. He banged his gavel, order, order, and there was nothing that you could do to stop it. Ah, the courtroom of public opinion. Quite the kangaroo court, huh? I know we've we've all been defendants there before, but... Maybe more than we care to remember, we've also been the plaintiff, or how about the prosecutor, the accuser, in the court of public opinion? Well, this kangaroo court of public opinion is what led to the innocent suffering and death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but the thing is, he made sure that in his last will and testament, that that game would be changed forever. One of my friends grew up here in California. He's actually part of your church. And uh, what's cool about him, among many things that are very cool about him, he goes to law school. And he's one of the only people I know that have ever gone to law school. So I like to ask him questions about the law. And so in preparation for this sermon, I made sure to call him and talk about what it really meant to find justice in a courtroom few things stuck out from our conversation. He said, damn, it's all about due process. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty. The jury's job is not to prove innocence, but to prove guilt. The ultimate goal is to keep innocent people innocent. So then, if that is the role of the court, how different is this to the court of public opinion? From Christ's gross mistrial at the hands of an angry mob, to today's cancel culture, to the nastiest small town rumor you've ever heard. The jury sees the defendant as guilty until proven innocent, trying to prove their guilt with the evidence stacking and stacking and stacking. And the voice of the prosecutor, the accuser, Satan is saying, You're guilty. You're worthless. Listen to my voice. And how does Paul correct this thinking? He says in the letter, he says, Stop turning those negative thoughts around in your head. Stop listening to those voices. The voice of the accuser. Voices like, Who will ascend into heaven? Who will descend into the abyss? I don't know. Enough. Enough careless words. Tell me instead, where is... The word. Paul tells us, he says, the word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. The word of the faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Those words are definitely at odds with their words. These words declare you righteous. Stop letting those words tell you who you are. The word is closer to you than anything someone could say to you, and the word is true. They're truer than true. They were said by the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, and you are his. Something that my friend went on to say in this discussion over the phone that really resonated with me. He said, Dan, there's this thing called double jeopardy. Once a jury or a judge finds you not guilty, no one can touch you. It's over. When Jesus' voice thunders over that of the accuser, when he says, you are righteous, you are clean, you are mine, This is the ultimate authority speaking. Break through that disillusionment. Listen to what your shepherd says about you, not others, not Satan. There's nothing anyone can say that can pull you from your shepherd's hands. There's nothing you can do to get yourself closer to him. He has made you his in baptism. And so Paul continues, everyone who believes in Christ Jesus will not be put to shame. I was looking at your church website as I was researching. Something caught my eye. You have a little tab that says Mission Statement. And besides the irony that the name of your church is St. Paul, and St. Paul wrote this letter, and he developed this legal language of justification in his letters, I read your mission statement, and it went something like this. We, the members of St. Paul's Lutheran Church, saints through Jesus Christ, give glory to God for his free gift of salvation and personally reach out to the community and the world with this good news. What a marvelous, unitive mission statement. After all, how then will they call on him whom in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? The gospel frees us from the shame of what others have to say about us because it declares us righteous from sin before our living God. That gospel is meant to be proclaimed, not just from people like Pastor Copper or me, but by Christians, Christians like you. Now, part of your ministry can be treating other people with respect, guarding them from shame with your words in this community. For you, the most important place in the whole world is California, Missouri. There's no place you'd rather be. And there's work for you to be done here. And your mission statement is a great first step. Christ died and rose again. And because of that, you are free from shame. You are small enough to know the people of California intimately, yet you're large enough to serve them as Christ has served us and serves us even today. Jesus has declared you righteous before the world and before his Father in heaven. And so rejoice. And gladly bear his name, for he recalls his promises and leads his people forth in joy. With shouts of thanksgiving, sing hallelujah. Amen.